Good morning, church. It's great to be here with you this morning. Uh, We are memorizing a familiar verse from the book of Luke this month in our scripture memory. It's a verse that many of us are familiar with that we have probably said many, many times and don't even realize that we have it already memorized, but we're going to practice it again this morning as a congregation. I believe it's on the front of your weekly uh, this morning, if you'd like to look at the front of your weekly. It's in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 to 12. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 to 12. We'll say it together. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold... I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Luke 2, 10 through 12. I think it's interesting I hear swaddling clothes. And I hear swaddling cloths. It's good. We'll have to determine which one it is through our month and our time together this month. There are some great Christmas opportunities available for you. I want to mention there's a Christmas caroling opportunity that's coming up next week that you are welcome to participate in. There's a group that's going to meet here at the church around 2 p.m. on the 14th. And they're going to leave and they're going to go Christmas carol to some of our friends who are not able to worship with us on a regular occasion. And we'd love you to participate in that with us. So write it down, 1214, 2 p.m., meet here in the parking lot. And they'll leave from here to go Christmas carol to some of our friends. Also, um, One Accord will be here tonight. And many of you know of their ministry. It's a community choir. Uh, they, they do draw quite a crowd. And we're looking forward to uh, celebrating the birth of our Messiah here tonight with One Accord. And if you're available you're welcome to join us here this evening for that as well. Well, there is indeed much excitement that surrounds us this time of year, as there should be. We're celebrating the birth of the Messiah. And as we work through our Advent series together, Behold Our Joy, Wrapped in Glory, we're looking at the infancy narratives. We're looking at the promised birth of John, and today we're looking at John's birth. And then next week, we're looking at the promise of our Messiah's birth. And the Sunday before Christmas, we'll be looking at the birth of Jesus. And last week, as we gathered together, we looked at the promise of one who would come to prepare the way for Jesus. And we unpacked one of the major themes of the infancy narrative. And you'll remember that theme was the sovereignty of God. It is all throughout Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. God is in control. God is at work in spite of what is happening all around the world when Jesus is born. We also answered this question. How should we respond when God's ways surprise us and catch us off guard? Remember, we looked at the surprise and the shock of Zechariah as he went in to the temple to bring incense only to be confronted by an angel. And we talked about how sometimes God's ways throw us off or they shock us or they catch us off guard. And we looked at how we should respond when those things happen. This week we're going to lean into a second major theme that emerges in the infancy narratives. And we're going to further explore and unpack this question. 
What should our proper response be when we realize the magnificent work of God in our lives? I'll say that again. What should our proper response be when we realize the magnificent work of God in our lives? We're going to break our text down into two primary sections today in order to accomplish this. We're going to start with verses 57 to 66 of Luke chapter 1, and then we're going to move to verse 67 to 79. So if you have your Bibles this morning, please turn to Luke chapter 1. If you don't happen to have a Bible with you today, there's Bibles right in front of you in the pew. You're welcome to pick one up and turn to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 1, we're going to begin at looking at verses 57 to 66. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful to have the opportunity to gather around your word. It is indeed A wonderful time of year to remember the gratitude that should be in our hearts for what your son did for us, accomplished for us, and has provided for us. And Lord, as we gather around your word this morning, we do so with the anticipation of knowing that you intend to work. Your spirit intends to move and that it's your intention that we leave here today as a people who are changed through the corporate study of your word. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the power that its words hold, its life-changing power. We're thankful, Father, that you've given us a book that's living and active, that's able to convict and able to change our hearts and our minds as your spirit works through it. And so, Father, I pray now and we pray now as we open your word that you would guide and direct our time together today. Might we realize our proper response to you when you're working in our lives in magnificent ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Starting in verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all of their neighbors. And all of these things that were talked about through all of the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them, laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Luke is overflowing with joy and excitement as he writes this narrative. And you know, I think it's so beautiful. The ESV, if you're using the ESV, it draws out Luke's excitement perfectly. Now we can all think back to a time when as a child that we were really, really excited and we could hardly contain ourselves. I remember when we picked up our son Brighton from his first ever week of summer camp at Black Rock. And, and first off, he had no voice left. He had had so much fun, he had used up all his voice. 
And when he got into the vehicle, he just kept telling us, and then this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and that happened. He was so excited to tell us all that happened. And one of the ways that the ESV beautifully shows Luke's excitement as he's writing is look at the amount of times the word and is in the section we just read. If you're an underliner, you would underline the word and 16 times in nine verses. Luke is thrilled. This is an exciting, a magnificently exciting time for him. And honestly, can we blame him for being so excited? The the great messianic hope of his people was being realized. John was the promised forerunner. And last week we mentioned that the sovereignty of God was one of the major themes in the infancy narratives, but this week a second theme emerges that's equally as important as God's sovereignty. And that is the reality that God keeps His promises. Such a powerful truth for us to grasp hold of, church. And we will dive into this theme further down in our text today, but we mention it here because it's God's faithfulness to keep his promises that has brought such rejoicing and such excitement in this occasion. Here we have new life, new hope, new energy, great rejoicing. And there's a response. Elizabeth, uh, just as there is when there's any kind of excitement in our lives, Elizabeth has been joined by her close friends, her family, and her community. They had come together to support her And to celebrate, the Lord had shown great mercy to Elizabeth. Remember last week we looked at, here was a righteous woman who loved the Lord, that that even though she was barren, she continued to be righteous in the way that she loved Him. She remained faithful. And the people saw the Lord's mercy upon her, and they were ready to celebrate. It happens to be eight days after the birth of John. And there were a few matters that needed to be attended to in the community, in regards to the baby. The first is that the baby needed to be circumcised. According to Jewish law, a baby boy was to be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. And this goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. We can see it in Genesis chapter 17. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. And it's confirmed again in the book of Leviticus in chapter 12. On the eighth day, the flesh of the foreskin shall be circumcised. And so there's obedience here to follow in the patterns that had been established amongst the people of Israel. And so the first matter of importance is to circumcise the child, symbolically uniting him together with the people of Israel as a true Jew. But of equal importance, and you you catch this in the first part of our text today, It wasn't just the circumcision, that was really important, but of equal importance was the naming of the child. And that is a real matter of debate in our text today. You can catch the conflict between the people who had gathered. You see, those who had gathered expected that Elizabeth would do what was customary in that time. And what was customary is that when you had a son that was born, you would name him after his father or you would name him after somebody who was a prominent member in your family line. And so the the people who have gathered to support, they are really caught off guard. Something curious is happening here. 
And you see, the reason that they would practice this, the reason that they would do this is because this helped people identify who belonged to whom. Do you ever have a hard time doing that? Sometimes we don't, because some of us look exactly like our parents. It's, it's not hard at all to identify who goes with who when we're standing around our parents. But in other cases, it's a little bit more difficult. And so this was a practice that helped. Oh, there's Zechariah. And look, Zech Jr.'s with him. He's with him. He's just going right behind him. This was not going to be how it was. And I think it's interesting, the response of her friends. Look at verse 61. They said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And then what did they do? Remember, remember we said last week that many scholars believe that Zechariah wasn't just unable to speak, but he was also unable to hear. Remember we said that, and, and this is why, there's textual evidence here. Because when they need to go and find out what the father wants him to be called, what are they doing? They're making signs, perhaps sign language, to find out what the father desired for the child to be called and you know doesn't doesn't this kind of behavior still happen today in our homes when you have big news you want to share big news with somebody and and I, I remember when we were telling people that our our uh, adoption had been upgraded from two to four children and when you tell that to somebody the first time they look at you and they're like you're crazy <laughs> And then they look at your significant other and say, is he pulling my leg? <laughs> no. And, and so when they decided that they weren't going to name the baby Zechariah, they're like, Elizabeth, come on. We, John, or Zechariah, what are you going to name this child? And, and it's interesting what he does. His response is, 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 uh, is really neat. He, he actually, when people were not able to communicate or to talk uh, back then, what they would give them, if you can imagine a clipboard, they would give them a clipboard uh, that about something about the size of a clipboard. It was a piece of wood. And they would take that wood and they would dip it into wax. And now you know dry wax across a wood board, they would then be given a utensil that they could carve their response into the dry wax so that people could read what their desire was. And this is what Zechariah does. He's, bring me the board. Bring me the board, and I will tell you what the name of my son is. And I think it's interesting. His response is clear. It's quick. Why? Because the child had already been named. Hadn't he? Remember last week, it was the angel Gabriel who said to Zechariah, his name shall be John. This, this child had, had already been named. And so John simply writes on the tablet what he knows in his heart to be true. His name is John. And those who had gathered together, they marveled that Zechariah would call his firstborn son by a name that was not part of his family's heritage. And as soon as it's in, in the text, it's, it's like immediately following, right after he does this. Right after he says his name shall be John. What happens? Look at verse 64. And immediately, look at that word, immediately. Not two minutes later, three minutes later. It happened immediately. His mouth was open, his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. 
So as Zechariah puts his obedience on display, his willingness to submit to the word of the Lord, he didn't get to name his son. God did. And as soon as he shows that he's submissive to that, everything that God had promised when the angel visited with him in the temple about his condition came true. He immediately got his voice back and he was able to speak. And so now we see in verses 65 and 66, the community that has gathered, they have a response to all this. I mean, you could only imagine. Here's a person that had been mute, unable to speak, perhaps unable to hear for, for a number of months. And all of a sudden, just like that, he's healed. Imagine the shock. For those who have gathered, something very special was happening here. And, and the word fear, it's interesting, in verse 65 you see that word fear. It's the same word that's used in verse 12. When Zechariah is confronted by the angel in the temple. The same exact word. Fear. There's something of fear that's happening here to these people when they see this. It's a shock. They can't believe it. Fear came before Zechariah's mouth was shut. You remember that? He approached the angel. He was fearful. He doubted and his mouth was shut. And now fear comes after his mouth is open again. Sometimes, friends, there's real fear that accompanies the work of the Lord. When we see his hand moving in, it, in our lives, sometimes we do become fearful because we realize how small we are and how mighty and how great he is. And it's not like a scary, I want to run away kind of fear. It's more like a, a jaw-dropping. We talked about that last week with Zechariah, a jaw-dropping fear. We stand in awe of the ways of our Lord. And I imagine these people just standing around marveling at what had just happening, happened before them. Zechariah must have been a man whose words had great influence among the people for the Lord to deal with him the way that he had. And what was experienced on that day would be talked about all throughout the hill country and the outer regions of Judea. And, and this news, it wasn't received like regular daily gossip. We know when something big happens in our community today, or we see big news, or, or even something we want to celebrate, the work of the Lord, sometimes it just gets passed around on social media and makes all the rounds on social media, and then it's forgotten. We call it the news of the day, right? We, we see this happen frequently. This is the thing that's exciting that we're celebrating right now. It's the news of the day. It gets excited. Everything kind of builds up. It explodes. And then what happens in a week or two? We forget about it because there's something new that has come. But that's not what happened here. Look at the text. Look in verse 66. This is different. This isn't just the news of the day. Verse 66. All who heard them, what did they do? They laid up laid them up in their hearts. This took root. This took root. Something of significance happened here. Something, there was no doubt that it came from the hand of the Lord, that it was a powerful work of God's hand. And as the news spread throughout the community, the community's response is that it took root. This was a big, big thing that went on 
amongst the people. And they asked this question. Isn't their question really interesting as well? What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Did you ever hear this phrase before? He really took that to heart. Have you ever heard that before? Some of us have heard, or she really took that to heart. When you say that, you say that, or we say that because the words that we said to somebody, they really treasured and buried down deep, and something in their life changed because of those words. That's where this, that's where we get, we get that phrase from this line. They treasured them, they stored them up, they laid them up in their hearts. Something changed for the people who had gathered together. Two significant realities they were recognizing. First, they recognized that the child was special. And second, they recognized that the hand of the Lord was with this child. And after what must have felt like an eternity to Zechariah, his mouth is opened. Finally, he's able to speak. God had kept his promise. And so it's interesting what comes from Zechariah. What comes next, isn't it? Zechariah's obedience and his posture of gratitude at the work of God produces a magnificent response. I want to say that again. Zechariah's obedience and his posture of gratitude at the work of God produces his next response. Let's look at verses 67 to 79 together. He's turning his gaze upon the God of salvation. He's tuning his voice to offer praise. He is singing praises to God. Verse 67, And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from the old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all of our days. Verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness, and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. As Zechariah begins his song here, it tells us in the text that he's filled with the Spirit. And isn't it a beautiful reality that he and his son have this in common in this moment? Right? Luke chapter 1, verse 16, or verse 15, it said, For he will be great before the Lord, he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. 
And again, we're witnessing the Holy Spirit as he worked in in the same way, uh, much the same way throughout the Old Testament. He comes upon Zechariah so that Zechariah is able to prophesy. And the Spirit is uniting John's purpose and Zechariah's praise with God's perfect plan. And church, what happens here is we get to glimpse this beautiful picture. It's, it's a picture of harmony of the Godhead, three in one, Father, Son, Spirit, working together to accomplish God's purposes in salvation. And, and Luke's gospel really magnifies the work of all three, especially in the infancy narratives. We see Father, Son, and Spirit. And so what does it mean to prophesy? That's a word that has much confusion surrounding it. Uh, in churches today. And I think it's important we pause to define what that word means. What was Zechariah doing here? And the word really has three different applications, and all of them are relevant to what Zechariah is doing. One is to foretell the future. And we see that in Zechariah's message. He is telling about what is coming, what is going to happen. The birth of the Messiah is coming, his son is going to prepare the way, he's foretelling the future. But he's also celebrating the work of God. And in doing that, he's preaching and proclaiming the good news. And so all three applications of the word prophecy relate here. This is one of three songs in the infancy narratives, in the opening chapters in Luke. And and really, we can break this song down into four stanzas. But today, we're just going to break it down into two as we look at it. We We see thanksgiving in verses 68 to 70. We see deliverance in verses 71 to 75. We see the purpose for John in verses 76 and 77. And we see the hope of messianic salvation in verses 78 and 79. But as I said, for the purpose of our time together today, we're going to break it down into two stanzas. Stanza 1, 67 to 75, Zechariah's song of praise to God. And stanza 2, 76 to 79, Zechariah's song for his son. And I want you to catch the significance of what's happening here, church. Remember last week we said that this is happening in the context of the nation of Israel coming out of what we said was 400 years of silence. And here, for the first time, In some 400 years, according to the people and what we know, we have prophecy. And many scholars say that Zechariah's song, Zechariah's prophecy, is the last of the old and the first of the new. This is incredibly significant. His posture is a posture of thankfulness. And he begins with the word for which which this song is known. And if you happen to like Latin or know Latin, you can find this song sung on YouTube in Latin. It's called the Benedictus. That's what it's called. The, the, the name of it's up there in italics. You can go online. You can find it. Uh, it's actually a song that's sung by choirs, and it's very beautiful. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. The word visited, it's the same word that would be used to go and see a person who was sick. So if you were living in that time and you were going to go see a friend or an acquaintance or a family member who was sick, 
who was ill and who was in bed. This is the exact same word you would use for that visit. It's intentional. It's purposeful. Because, friends, the world was sick. The world was sick. Romans chapter 8, verses 22 to 23. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning. Groaning's not something that we do when we're well, typically, hopefully, unless you're complaining. You shouldn't be doing that either. <laughs> groaning typically is something that we do when we're ill, when we're not well. Creation's been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, not only the creation, but we ourselves who now have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And Jesus would remind the people in Luke chapter 5, Jesus answered saying, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I've come to call the righteous, or I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Friends, the word visit that Zechariah used here was intentional because the world was in a place of sickness. We were in need of, of a savior and the person of jesus would come for a visit to the sick and not only would he come for a visit but he would come to redeem us or buy us back and zechariah uses that word here and it's the same word that they would have used if you were buying back a prisoner somebody who had been taken captive during war it would have been the same word the world um, the world was being held captive by the power of sin and death. And Jesus was coming to purchase back a people who had been set apart to, for him as a gift from God. A horn of salvation had been raised up. A conqueror who was mighty to save was coming. One who was coming even from the house of David. Psalm 132 verse 17. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. Just as God had spoken by the prophets of the Old Testament, the people would be saved. And as Elizabeth was shown the mercy of God in her conception of John, so too would the world be shown the mercy of God. As God remembered His covenant promises to them. Take a look at verse 73. The oath that He swore to our father Abraham to grant us. What oath is Zechariah speaking of there? Genesis chapter 22. And said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. This is in the context of Abraham offering up his son Isaac. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. Isn't it beautiful that in this song, all of the themes of the promises of God are being recounted and encountered? Zechariah is using the words enemies, saving us from our enemies. It's a reminder going back all the way to the covenant in Genesis chapter 22. What God promised he would do, he was performing in the midst of his people. And isn't it neat in Genesis 22 that God swears His covenant on Himself? 
because there is nothing greater. There is nothing of higher nature, of higher faithfulness, of more significance than God. God staked His very name to the promise-keeping nature of who He was. Swearing by no one other than Himself. And the covenant was made uh, with, that was made with Abraham all the way back in Genesis is now, friends, in the process of consummation as John the Baptist is coming to prepare the way for Jesus. Look at verse 74. Your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies and that we being delivered from the hands of our enemies, what God has promised, church, he is faithful to perform. Write that down. Seal it up. Hold it in your hearts. Put it in your minds. It's absolutely true. And it's the testimony of his faithfulness throughout his word from Genesis to the end of Revelation. If God promises it, he will perform it. He will perform it. And all of this so that we might serve him. How does he say it? Serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all of our days. And I would ask us today, church, what do we have to fear? What do we have to fear? The world shakes its fist in our faces. It demands that we bow to fear. All we have to do is turn on the local news outlets. All we have to do is pick up a newspaper on our front porch or read something in the mail or go on the internet. And we see the demands for fear and the demands for insecurity. The world demands that we doubt, that we live with anger. How much anger and hostility do we see in the world today? Resentfulness, bitterness, anxiety, apathy, cynicism. But church, we have real hope. Real hope. Because we serve a God who is not only always in control, as the first major theme of the infancy narratives emphasizes, but He's also always keeping His promises, even when to us it may not appear that way. David acknowledges this. He bursts forth in song, in Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And and church, Paul later on exhorts and reminds us that we who are called of God have nothing to fear in regards to man. What then shall we say to these things in Romans chapter 8, verse 31? If God is for us, Who can be against us? There's no reason to fear. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Do you see these questions 
Nothing. The answer to everyone, nothing, nothing, nothing. Fear should be an alien emotion for us, church. And, and I would say this to you because I have to preach this to myself almost every single day. That, that we would not be motivated by fear, but we would be motivated by love. In Christ, we are overwhelming conquerors. And a people who live this way, a people who live as overwhelming conquerors, are powerful, not in and of themselves, but they're powerful because the might of God is manifested in and through them. Those who are called to Christ are also called to let go of fear. And there's a verse that hangs next to my computer monitor in my office. If you've received a card from me um, during a difficult season of life, most likely you'll see this verse quoted in the card because it means so much to me. It is so significant to me. And when I look at it, it is a daily reminder that this is the reality of my life. To lean back in, to depend on God, and to acknowledge that He is helping. I don't need to fear. He is helping. He has me. And might we as a church ever be mindful that we are a people who need not be fearing. God has delivered us from our enemies. He has. Sin and death, church, have been shattered. They were our greatest enemies. They were what stood against us. And Jesus destroyed them. He destroyed them. So that we could live free of fear. It's a good reminder for me. It's a good reminder for us. Reminder for Zechariah. For the people who heard his song. It was also a good reminder for his newborn son, was it not? I would imagine that John's ministry, what God was calling John the Baptist to, would be something that would be very prone to feelings of fear and anxiety as he began to walk in the ways of the Lord. And, and all of us that sit here know how John's story ended, most of us, with his head on a platter. Reason to be fearful, perhaps, but he wasn't. He wasn't. At least we never see that in the text. It's a monumental task that John was called to, and Zechariah knew this. Elizabeth was aware, but I don't think she had any idea how things would end up. And so this is a beautiful picture in our text, friends, verses 76 to 79. Um, as I was studying this this week, this really grabbed hold of my attention. Can you, can you picture this with me? Zechariah after all those years of hopelessness, of not being able to have a son, holding his son in his arms, a beaming and proud father, and singing this song to him and over him as he rejoices in the way that God had worked in their lives. Look, at the words in Zephaniah. These words came to mind this week as I was looking at this text. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. 
He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Isn't it beautiful that that's what is happening here? And I love the picture in the fourth line there. Imagine a baby crying, needing comforting, God scooping up this crying child into his arms and comforting him with his steadfast and immovable love. And, and, and I don't know whether Zechariah was holding his son here or just singing over him or just singing in the presence of God. But he begins in verse 76 by defining his son's purpose. Look at verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. He would be considered in many ways and by many as the final prophet, John the Baptist. He was to prepare the way of the Lord so that the knowledge of salvation could come to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. His ministry was evidence of God's tender mercy and patience. God is kind, friends. He is kind to bear with us in our sin. And it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. John the Baptist's ministry was evidence of God's kindness in bearing with his people, preparing his people. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Repentance. The dawn of the morning, day spring or sunrise was visiting from on high. John's ministry was to focus the attention of the people onto the sun. And no doubt that Isaiah chapter 60 verses 1 and 2 was on the mind of Zechariah as he prophesied concerning the ministry of his son and the ministry of Jesus. Look at these words. Arise. Shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise. Those beautiful words. The Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. Malachi, we looked at Malachi last week because he promised this forerunner that would come before the Messiah he spoke of the son of righteousness. We sung about it today. Son of righteousness. In one of our songs, I won't try to re-say the line because I'll mess it up. Malachi 4.2 But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. I've never seen a calf leap, but I'm sure they do. It's in the Bible. Darkness, friends had enveloped the nation. We laid that out last week. Remember, 400 years of silence, surrounded by the darkness of the Roman rule and the oppression of the people. Darkness had enveloped the nation, but the sun was dawning. The sun was dawning. Light was breaking through the darkness. And just as God spoke, and through His Word, the heavens and the earth were formed, now, once again, the word would come dwelling among men, bringing light and life to a dark and dying world. The word would come, as verse 79 says, look at verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness 
and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The word would function just as the psalmist said the word would function. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The bright morning star would soon appear. Jesus in the book of Revelation, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. All of those words beautifully encompassed in this beautiful song of thanksgiving and prophecy by Zechariah. His light, guiding, directing our feet into the way of peace, defined by the Prince of Peace, who would provide eternal peace for the hearts and souls of those who are called as his disciples. So we ask the question, how might our lives look in light of these realities? And church, I have an assignment for you. It's a busy time of year, but this is really good. I'm excited about this. I'm going to do it. I was challenged by a brother in our congregation, and he does not even know who he is. But his... I know, isn't that funny? I won't say his name. But the testimony of his life and what something that he did stuck out to me in such a way, I thought, I thought of Zechariah's song when I read something that he shared with me. It was a song of thanksgiving. But you know what it was a song of thanksgiving in regards to? It was a song of thanksgiving in regards to how the Lord had worked in his life in this past year. He wrote his own song about it. And I thought, you know, how amazing would that be if we took time to do that? Because the reality, church, as we sit here today, is that God is still working. He's still active. He is still performing mighty things in our lives, wonderful things. And how good of a practice would it be for us as a congregation to sit down sometime in a quiet moment in your house And perhaps just put it down in writing. What has the Lord done in your life this year that you could celebrate? Create your own song of praise. Much like Zechariah's. If you need a model, look at Zechariah's song of praise. Or look at Mary's. When she gives praise to God, they're beautiful models. And take a few moments. I think two weeks is enough time to accomplish this assignment. Two weeks? Right? That would take us right before Christmas. And, and here's a thought I had. If you do this, if you take time to do this, how much of a blessing? I know I was blessed this week. When I, when I looked at that, when I received that, and I opened that, and I read that, my heart, it, it, like, it like leaped. Because I had been studying this passage, and I'm like, here's a modern day rendition of this song in regards to somebody's life and what God has done. And, and it just made me think, what a perfect application. And what could God do with that in someone else's life that you might share that with? Just to say, hey, I just want to share this with you. These are all the ways the Lord worked in my life in the past year. I'm so thankful for what he has done. And we have great hope. We don't have to live by fear. The Lord is working He's accomplishing His purposes. And we can respond in the same exact way that Zechariah responded with a song of praise and thanksgiving.
As you think about those things today, we're going to celebrate communion. I'm going to invite our elders to head to the back to prepare, to come and serve. I think it's a wonderful context for us to celebrate communion today in this passage because we're giving thanks and we're thinking about what the Lord might be doing or might have done in our lives in this past year. And if we can't think of anything else off the top of our heads, we can always come back to the reality of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And that's what we remember when we celebrate and take part in communion. At Calvary Monument Bible Church, the table and the elements are open to all who claim to know the Lord as their personal Savior. If you're here today with us and you know Jesus as your Savior, we invite you to participate in communion with us today but if you're here and you've never made a profession of faith and you're not sure if Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior then we would just ask that you allow the plate and the cup to pass by don't feel any obligation to participate with us today as our elders come forward to serve this morning might you take up a few moments to pray preparing your hearts to receive communion Father, as we think about the faithfulness of your testimony in our lives and how you've worked, I pray that you would help us over the next few moments, perhaps the next few days and the next few weeks, call to mind all the wonderful ways that you've worked in our lives this year. And as we participate and prepare our hearts for communion today, might we be mindful of the work of your son Jesus and thankful. Lord, if there's relationships in our lives that are broken I pray that today perhaps would be a reminder that we need to go and correct those relationships and reconcile if there's sin in our life that has not been repented of Lord that you would bring conviction and repentance I pray Lord that as we honor you through this that you would be overjoyed with our worship in Jesus name Amen.